Welcome to Money Talks, a series of interviews with me, Liam Halligan, Economics and Business Editor of GB News. In this episode, ahead of the COP27 summit in Egypt, I talked to Steve Scrimshaw, Vice President of Siemens UK. Companies like Siemens have been at the heart of efforts to develop renewable power sources like wind and solar, helping to reduce carbon emissions, with renewables now helping to generate up to 40% of the UK's electricity, themes developed during this interview. A member of the Hydrogen Advisory Council, Scrimshaw also explains why hydrogen is such an important future fuel source while calling for a national endeavour to deliver UK energy security and a net zero electricity system. Steve Scrimshaw, how serious is the energy crisis that we find ourselves here in the UK? Energy crisis, very serious. It's all driven by global gas prices. And it's really important that the government, the new government, uh, address this. And I'm pretty sure that the package that they've announced um, will address it. And I think that will be welcomed by homes and businesses up and down the country. Really critical to do that. My point, I think, is that while they've done that, I think we also need not to take our eye off net zero. Net zero is something that we have to achieve, and maybe we can talk a little bit more about that. Some people would say that now's not the time for net zero. The Prime Minister herself is taking those renewable energy subsidies off our electricity bills. She's not scrapping them, she's suspending them for now. How would you counter the view that we can't afford net zero at the moment. We just need to do what we need to do to stay warm this winter and frankly to keep the lights on. Yeah. I get it that you know that we, we need to we need to keep the lights on, we need to make sure people have affordable electricity, etc. Net zero actually will deliver us um, a sustainable, secure energy independence at an affordable price in the future. And I think it's a bit like we have to, you know, f- fix the roof a little bit when it's raining, but also plan for the future as well. So the commitments that the government have made with the commitment to having net zero by 2035, I think that will also help us in the future to make sure that we've got affordable energy. For example, if, if we had, the, we didn't have the gas price now, the, the offshore wind business is delivering competitive electricity prices. So this is in effect future-proofing the energy system so that we are not reliant on this global market um, in the future so much. Tell us about the progress we've made. Not so long ago, 40% of our electricity was generated using coal. Now it's almost none. Uh, renewables are a major part of our energy mix. Gas, though, is still 35 to 40 percent. To what extent are renewables already helping us? Renewables are helping us significantly. I mean, if you look, we've got, what, 12, 14 gigawatts of renewables um, in the sea at the moment. What does that mean to my mum? To your mum, it means we've got lots of offshore wind farms that are out in the sea. She probably can't see them being connected up to the national grid. But, but there and, are days when renewables are 20, 30, even 40 percent of our energy mix, right? They are, they mm. are indeed. And you, you'll hear things talked about like uh, hydrogen and you'll hear things talked about energy storage. So when you have um, wind, you know, we have days when there's lots of wind, but we don't have the demand for energy. That's when we need to start thinking about energy storage. And some of the things that we want to talk about is to get the industry to start talking about um, policies around energy storage, long-duration energy storage. So when the sun doesn't shine, when the wind ain't blowing, you've actually captured um, wind energy when you didn't need it, 
and then you can use that stored energy to provide cheap electricity to homes and businesses across the country. So one of the things that I would be asking Liz Trust to do is, you know, fixing the things that she's had to fix, but also please keep your focus on the net zero agenda because it's those things that you have to do. Give you another little stat on the, if you talk about wind turbines, right? So we have to quadruple the number of wind turbines that we have to put in the sea compared to what we've done to date, and we've got half the time to do it. Before the government's target? Before the government's target of hitting 50 gigawatts by 2030. And if, and if you look at what does that mean, if you think um, 25% of the global manufacturing capacity will be needed to deliver that for the UK alone, right? So they're big numbers. Now, you're proudly from the northeast. I've been up to the northeast a lot. Um, pursuing this sort of energy story. I know Siemens Energy UK is involved in the big carbon capture um, uh, project up there on Teesside. I know you've got a, a wind turbine manufacturing facility. I think it's in Hull. Correct, yeah. um, how big could offshore wind be for the UK? Somebody called Boris Johnson, I can't remember who he is myself, but he once said that we could be the Saudi Arabia of wind, yeah. referring to, obviously, the desert kingdom that has dominated global oil production yeah. in recent generations. Is he right? I think he is right. We've got some unique geology in the UK. You know, we've got best winds anywhere. Um, so wind, wind turbines make sense offshore. They're getting further offshore. We're talking about things like floating wind as well. Um, and then we also have geology like empty floating wind where the sea's too deep to bolt to yeah, yeah. So you economically have, bolt to absolutely that mm. sort of thing we also have um, gas fields which are empty mm. so we can actually store carbon that's produced from industries and mm. from power generation we can store carbon that's the project you're talking mm. about on said there's another one locking it underground locking it underground storing it for hundreds of years um, and, and these are all things that actually take you to that net zero position. So if we can have, you know, you get think ahead to 2030, if we deliver this, and the key is can we deliver it? And, and the, the point I want to make is about capacity in the supply chain. There's things that we have to unlock and then grow the capacity, which will deliver low-cost, sustainable energy for the future. And that, if that, that happens, then we've delivered our net zero by 2035. Yeah? Steve, some GB News viewers and listeners will be screaming at their televisions and radios saying, yes, but what about when the wind doesn't blow? That's the problem with renewables. You can't store renewable energy, or can you? Tell us how you can restore renewable energy with specific reference to hydrogen. So I think, well, if you look, if you look at hydrogen, so I'm, I'm lucky enough, privileged enough that I sit on the government's Hydrogen Advisory uh, Council. And I think, um, you know, I want to I wanna say, uh, you know, a bit of good news, Bayes. They've, they've done a... An That's the business. Business, the, Energy the, and Industrial Strategy Department. The Whitehall Department. They've, they've done a tremendous job. They've had the vision under the leadership of Kwasi Kwarteng to actually come up with a hydrogen strategy. They've got hydrogen business models. They've got the hydrogen standard. They've got the Net Zero Hydrogen Fund. And this is like a nascent new technology that they're trying to bring to the, uh, to the UK. Um, so they've had the vision to do that. They've made some commitments of what they're going to try and do, trying to get the 10 gigawatts of hydrogen by 2030, mm. which is, it sounds, sounds enormous, it's 10,000 times what we have today mm. to get to that point. And, and that will allow us to, so, so when the wind's blowing, like I said before, when the wind's blowing, we can produce green hydrogen. How do you produce green hydrogen? You take water 
and you split it into hydrogen and oxygen mm. and you store the hydrogen and then you can use that hydrogen for lots of different applications so that's where you store energy principle being in all of this store energy when you don't need it and use it when you do need it so that's the whole principle of it allow me steve this is what you do just let, allow me to lay out the steps if i will and we can take the viewers and listeners with us so mm -hmm. what we're saying here is that the wind turbines blow they generate power, electricity. When that electricity isn't immediately demanded by the grid, you can use that electricity to conduct electrolysis, which creates the hydrogen. The hydrogen can then be stored and used as energy. The hydrogen can be converted into all kinds of other energy sources that can fuel everything from turbines to cars to heavy machinery, right? That's absolutely right. Liam, I think you wasted in the job you're doing. You've absolutely got it. You've nailed it. That, that's Some people say the same thing. <laughs> that's absolutely right. It's those types of things. And it's important that from your perspective, from an environmental perspective, that we use so-called green hydrogen, hydrogen produced where the electricity comes from renewable energy, yeah. as opposed, well, you've got yellow hydrogen, haven't you, when you use atomic energy to do the electrolysis yeah. to create the yeah. hydrogen. You've also got so-called, is it, Blue. blue hydrogen. Yeah. Explain the different colours of yeah. the rainbow. Well, you, you have you have multiple colours of hydrogen, and, and for this for this argument, if you like, I, I don't think it really matters. It, it, the best way I would describe well, it. Well, it does if, matter, yeah, it, doesn't it? If yeah. we use oil and gas to sure, do sure. the electrolysis yeah. to create the yeah. hydrogen, so, so, what do you call that? Brown so, hydrogen. So, so, so blue hydrogen. Let's go blue hydrogen. Mm. Blue hydrogen is is splitting is using a reformation process with methane, natural gas that we all use in our homes. And then you split it and you capture the carbon, right? So mm. you reform it and you capture the carbon and you store the carbon under the North Sea. That's basically mm. what you do. I, I use the analogy. It's, a, it's like a twin track approach we call green and blue. It's like getting from London up mm. to Scotland. One you use the East Coast and the other one you use the West Coast. It's two totally different journeys, but you end up in the same place. Yeah. And it's, it's that sort of thing. So we, we will end up with probably four or five big blue hydrogen plants, which are Call it like so to be clear, this is hydrogen produced using fossil fuels, correct. but you capture the carbon and store to, it to store it. Correct. And if you think of those at blue hydrogen plant, just, you know, visualization, it's like a petrochemical plant, big mm. plant, mm. where if you talk about electrolysis, it's a unit, a smaller unit. You know, mm. we, may, we make them 17 and a half megawatts, relatively small, but you'll need thousands of them or more than thousands of them. That's the sort of uh, the scale of the difference between the two. Now. You are, as you say, on the government's hydrogen task force. I know you've been doing a lot of advocacy behind the scenes uh, and you are making progress. But I put it to you, Steve, and I've spoken with many other sort of industrialists and business leaders about this. Mm -hmm. um, I put it to you that our hydrogen strategy is still way behind where it should be. We're still not taking hydrogen seriously enough. For instance, we could use hydrogen to drive our buses and cars and lorries and all the rest of it. And yet the government is going headlong, the country is going headlong down an electric vehicle route that uses battery technology, completely mm -hmm. separate from hydrogen mm -hmm. technology, where we are carting around very, very heavy batteries in our vehicles. This is the vision. Those batteries dependent on substances like lithium, um, so-called rare earths yeah. that are mined predominantly in countries that don't really like us very much, mm -hmm. like the yeah. Central African Republic or China. Isn't the whole electric vehicle thing a blind alley? Um, 
I don't, I don't think so. I think you, your first question was about, you know, where are the government with the, the hydrogen in terms of the, you know, if you want to say on the global stage. Mm, mm. I, think, I think we were leading and I think we have to keep up the pace to continue to have that leading position. So um, things like energy, transportation and storage. Some of the things that you've mentioned, if you look in Aberdeen, you know, there's hydrogen fuel buses at the moment. Yeah. yeah? And, and, but, you, but you've got uh, in Northern Ireland, the right bus companies generating a whole new um, uh, fleet of hydrogen powered buses. Yeah, with Rise Hydrogen. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly So why do we need these EVs? Why do we need all these rare earths? Why are we rolling out... Uh, 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 an EV charging network across the country, where we should be rolling out a hydrogen network. I think Liam, you've got to have, you've got to have, you need all of these levers to actually to achieve what we're trying to achieve is net zero. So I think you need all of the the measures. You can't pick a winner one direction or the other. The energy transition, as I like to say to people, it's a it's a it's a general direction. It's not a clear road that it's one point A to point B. It's going to be a navigational road. There'll be new technologies which will come along as we evolve and technologies advance. And that's why I think you have to keep all the options open. So I think it's right to... Well, make a decision. I mean, we want to keep all the options open, but we're talking serious money to roll out an electric vehicle charging network that may well be obsolete. If this hydrogen technology works, everything that I've seen yep. convinces me as, a, as, as an observer, an interested and attentive observer, but I'm, I'm not mm -hmm. a scientist, but it strikes me it's by far the superior technology. But if, if you look at the moment, I mean, hydrogen, green hydrogen is very expensive at the moment. You, you know that it's very expensive. But I think if you think of... Because the scale's so small. So small at the moment. But if you think of the, what's been delivered through offshore wind, it started very expensive and the cost point has come down. What I would advocate for is to say that if you look at all of these industries I've talked about, offshore wind, carbon capture and storage, hydrogen, all those things, as you scale up, the cost will come down. And that's where you get back to my point about energy security, affordability, etc. So I think that's where you come. My, my option, I'm an electric car driver. Um, mm. I'm privileged to be an electric car driver. I think you have to have optionality. You've got hybrids, you've got fuel cars, you've got electric cars, and you've got this in new industry that's developing, which is hydrogen. If you look at the hydrogen roadmap and just see where it comes from, if you start to draw the roadmap, you start to say, you're actually going to start with things like cars, maybe cars, transport, buses, producing hydrogen local to where it's going mm. to be used. And that's what's happening in Aberdeen. Mm. If you then start to go a bit further and say, you can have a blue hydrogen plant, you might have one here, one there, one further on. And so you're just going to see that scaling up. And I think, use the analogy of the offshore wind business, it starts very small, you know, original contracts were smaller machines, now they're getting bigger machines, more efficient machines, they're getting further offshore. Um, but I think, I think another point I wouldn't mind making to you, Liam, mm. is that if you look at all of this offshore wind, you know, the wind turbines and the towers are all the things that people focus upon. Every one of these wind turbines has to be connected to the national grid, mm. every single one of them. And, and in our report that we issued the other day, which was called a National Endeavour, we talked about that if you talk about what we need to do by 2035, you need to increase the transmission network, the local transmission network, by 50%. In, in all it's of the, a lot of copper. It's a lot of copper. Copper's really yeah, expensive. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is why I think that's one of the asks of government. And this isn't just an ask of government, it's an ask of the whole of the industry come together back to this national endeavour. What I would ask of government is give us some clarity on what you want by when, which is why I keep saying mm. come back to the 2035. Mm. We, use the, we use the idea, if you, go, if you went down a dark alley with your iPhone, with your light on, you can only see what you can see. Mm. If you floodlight that alley, mm. you get a vision of the future, you can see where you can turn off, 
and that allows us as suppliers in the supply chain to plan things. So when you talk about rare metals and copper and things like that, you can get in these global supply chains. There's no doubt about it. You're absolutely right. Global supply chains. I mean, copper prices are going to go to the moon, aren't they? I mean, yeah, and so uh, much of renewable, you know, the offshore wind industry, you use so much copper yeah. in your production. An, an electric vehicle uses five times more copper than a conventional sure. vehicle. But if, if you get into the position where you can have visibility and you can plan, and this is all about, again, back to this national mm. endeavour, we can create, I believe, as a country, this, I would call it like an industrial backbone. All of this work I've talked about, carbon capture and storage, mm. hydrogen, um, offshore wind, transmission networks, etc. These are, these are career. I, I started as an apprentice, a 16-year-old, right? Good lad. I started as an apprentice, yeah. 16 year old, a few years ago now. And, and when you look at, I've seen energy transition topics happen. Yeah. These jobs that I'm talking about are lifetime career jobs. These are not just project jobs. These are things that people will be employed for a lifetime. And I do know there's a huge amount of enthusiasm up on Teesside yeah. uh, for the renewable industry. You, you're converting, you know, marine bays that used to be used for shipbuilding. Then they were converted to not North Sea offshore rig construction and sure. so on. Now they're being converted yeah. again to renewable. The, the Geordie's ever <laughs> adaptable. But look, it's great to have you with me, Steve. And while you're here, I want to really try and learn something from you because I don't understand why it is that even though renewable production has gone up, even though unit cost of renewable, albeit with subsidy, has fallen significantly, why is it then that the gas price still completely dominates the energy market? How does that work? Why aren't ordinary people benefiting from the reduction of costs of renewables? Because if they did benefit from renewables, even people whose bills, you know, they've gone with companies where it's entirely renewable, their bills are just the same as their neighbours who went with the gas-fired yeah. company. But if, if, if How can we decouple energy prices from the gas price? Well, I think, I think that's, where, that's where we have to get to. If you, if you look at the, you, you know, but just for the benefit of the viewers, you know, you look at what's happening at the moment. It's a perfect storm, isn't it? You've got, um, you've got the interconnector that we have to France that normally, you know, they produce cheap nuclear, nuclear power and then we import it. But they've got problems with the reactors, so we're currently mm. exporting. Mm. You've got Norway where they... Um, they've got their hydropower's hydro down, powers so they might not send us so much gas so much through like, the Langland yeah. undersea pipeline. We've, we've got interconnectors that we've built with many countries you know so mm. people are now sort of because of the crisis because of the invasion of, uh, of Ukraine with a gas price uh, problem everybody's vying to, to try and buy gas on the international market we're competing against Europe we're competing against the world if you like that's what's driving the gas price so we have to decouple that and some of the things I've been talking about if we can you know have a a short-term um, addressing the issue that we talked about, the energy crisis, which hopefully that's, that's sorted. I know it's, it's a longer-term thing. But if we can then focus on some of the issues of the long-term thing, I think you're going to build in future-proofing to reduce the reliance on gas and reduce the, the price. How, how do we... Where is the lever that we pull? What is the legislation that we write? Let's say you and I and Kwasi Kwarteng and Liz Truss got in a room and said, right, we are going to decouple the... You know, en wholesale energy price from gas prices to reflect the fact that a lot of this energy now isn't gas, it's renewable provided, it's other yeah. sources. How do you do that decoupling? Is it a cultural thing? Is it an institutional thing? I, Is I, it a legislation thing? I think I think we're, you can you can see we're going to wean ourselves off gas eventually. That's that's where we're heading towards net zero by twenty fifty, right? And, and another little stat just to put in viewers' mind. You know, when we talk about net zero by twenty fifty, that means that. Everything that we have today, trains, buses, planes, lorries, mm. um, 
energy production, etc. We've got to capture carbon, we've got to store carbon, we've got to make hydrogen. And we've got less than one billion seconds to do that between now okay, and Okay, let me put it really bluntly, yeah. right? In the last yeah. few minutes of this yeah, yeah, interview, sure. why is it that renewable companies who are producing energies cheaply now after massive subsidies that are ongoing are able to sell their energy at massively elevated prices that reflect the price of gas? Why is that? I don't understand why. I really want to. Because I think it's, we have an energy system which is a mix at the moment, isn't it? So I think if, you can, if we can wean ourselves off gas and more onto renewables and those types of things, then I think you do create that, that difference that you have between gas and renewable energy. To me, as a trained, highly trained economist, with all respect, Steve, the market looks rigged as, as a punter paying massive energy bills and lots and lots of tax. I don't understand why the market doesn't operate properly. It strikes me there's some kind of uh, institutional inertia in the market that the massive amount of renewable energy that's now coming through that's relatively cheap compared to gas is not influencing the spot price at which we buy our wholesale yeah. energy. I think if you, if you look in the mix of the mix that we've got, we've got, what, 12 gigawatts of wind, I don't know, I don't know, eight, ten, that's running at the moment. But if you look at what the sort of size of our demand is, mm. it's still dominated by gas. And that's, until you can see that reducing, you know, we've, we've got 29 million gas boilers in this country. You know, we need to think about how do we transition away that. And I think the more we can reduce our reliance on gas, then I think you'll see that separation. Well, I certainly hope so. Uh, Steve Scrimshaw, it's been really interesting and useful to talk to you. You are from Siemens Energy UK, and thanks a lot for appearing. Thanks very much. On Money Talks. Cheers. Thanks a lot for listening to Money Talks with me, Liam Halligan, Economics and Business Editor of GB News. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube or wherever you're listening. Do subscribe to this podcast. GB News, Britain's news channel.